This week on Voice Over Voices, it's basically a masterclass on acting and life with Melanie Zanetti. We discuss being present, what happens when preparation meets opportunity, gratitude, Bluey, Gabriel's Inferno, Love and Monsters, Italy, theatre, accents and how history informs them. And Mel plays a grumpy horse, reads her poetry and we ask the question, who would want to be famous? Hello and welcome to VoiceOver Voices, the podcast where we delve into the wordy world of voiceovers. Each episode you'll meet a professional voice artist, find out who they are and how they got into this work, and listen while we run through some slightly ridiculous script games which are based on the kind of jobs we tackle on any given day in the studio. I'm Cathy Ogden and I'm a voice artist, singer, writer and podcaster. A voice artist needs to be able to sight-read scripts, take direction, interpret the client's brief, create characters, moderate their vocal tone, flip from character to character, and somehow manage to do all this within a tight time limit. It's an intensely focused kind of job, and people come into it from all sorts of different backgrounds. And what's more, nobody really knows who we are. We're largely invisible to all but our agents, clients, and each other. Well, I'm changing all that, so on with the show. My guest this week on Voice Over Voices is an award-winning actress and voice artist, the very lovely Melanie Zanetti. Melanie is originally from Brisbane and is a graduate of the University of Southern Queensland, where she graduated with a Bachelor of Theatre Arts. Melanie is the ultimate professional with years of training and experience in film, TV, theatre and voice acting. She plays the role of Chili in our much-loved animated series Bluey and has received widespread admiration for the joy and truthfulness she brings to the role. She's also the voice of a delightfully empathetic robot called Mavis in the film Love and Monsters. Other voiceovers include commercials for long-term clients, such as Good Start, Early Learning and Queensland Health. Melanie is an exceptional actor who is working constantly. Her list of screen credits is a long one, so briefly it ranges from things like Orla in the Bureau of Magical Things and Kayla and Mavis in Love and Monsters to Stephanie in Young Rock and Julia Mitchell in Gabriel's Inferno parts one, two and three, just to name literally a few. Suffice to say, Melanie keeps very busy acting in US and Australian productions. On top of all that, Melanie writes poetry and has a beautiful way with words. I can't wait to find out more about her extraordinary world. So, without further ado, welcome to Voice Over Voices, Melanie Zanetti. That was such a beautiful intro. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you so much for making time because you're coming to me from LA and I'm in Sydney and I really appreciate you making time for my podcast. Thank you. Absolutely. I've, um, I, had, I had a little listen and you have such... Wonderful guests on and um, with such not only the gorgeous and insightful things, but really useful information for people who are looking to get into the voiceover industry. Yeah, well, that was sort of, I think that's that's the combination of what I have sort of wanted to achieve with this was to to be a resource for people who want to get into acting and voiceover work and also to shine a light on the people who actually 
do the work and how they do it, you know, because it's such a it's such a hidden world, really. Totally. And everyone sort of comes from it um, real like in the same way people do with acting, really with their own journey and from their own, um, you know, there, there are many, many roads to Rome um, with voiceovers. So were you acting as a child? Were you in school plays and doing that sort of thing? Like a little bit in high school. Um, I, I always have enjoyed telling stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I was, I was very creative, very quiet child actually. So I think I, I did bits and pieces here and there and in high school. And then when I left high school, I wasn't going to be an actor because I was like, that's for really beautiful and really deluded people. And I'm near to the those. I'm, I'm going to be practical and I'm smart. And, and then, you know, I did some course that was like, killing my soul and then it was actually my parents who sat me down and they're like you can do anything later and you really loved this acting thing you should give that a go and that's how there was one course left open which was USQ and I auditioned and got in and everything else kind of rolled from there. Oh that is just such a wonderful story because I think it's it's really interesting that you you were like, no, I can't do acting, really, you know, but you have this incredibly creative soul. It had to find its outlet and it's a little bit like, um, it's a little bit like the right work finds you. It's it's almost like the right course found you so that you could, you could get the training that you needed to go into Absolutely. this amazing Absolutely. Yeah. And there is, there is, I think, a level of, um, because I would see myself as quite, in some ways, quite a practical person. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I was doing a film maybe 2019 and I was driving to set. It was about 6 a.m. And people who were going to their nine-to-fives were, you know, in their business suits and sand shoes waiting at the bus stop. And I just started sobbing because I was so happy that I had not gone into something that I was going to become a shell of myself. So I'm like driving to set, like happy crying when I realized just, you know, um, there's a lot of, you know, there's, there's a, a lot of like job insecurity and you don't know where things are going. But as we're seeing with the world now, there could be huge job insecurity anywhere. Exactly. So um, you may as well do the things you love. Absolutely. I cannot agree more. I mean, it's just, I think uh, if you have a creative soul, and I mean, everybody creates something, but to have that be your work is just so awesome. It really is. It doesn't mean you have, you, you, there's, there's not difficulties, as you say, and insecurities and all that sort of thing. But to be able to use your creativity every single day in what you do. Absolutely. Oh. I, I, and I do not take that for granted at so all. Yeah. It is such a, like a blessing and a privilege to be able to get paid to do what you love and do creative things all the time. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really aware that, you know, not everyone even is in a place in the world where that's possible for them. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, yeah, always just living in a place of extreme gratitude when, when we can. But also providing the world with such joy, you know, like uh, you need creative people who want to be. So true. You know, we're actually, we are giving a service to the world because it, I know for me, 
to sit down in front of Netflix and put on a f- something fabulous that takes me off to another mm-hmm. place is like the the cheapest form of therapy I can think of, you know. Right. <laughs> and, and I've got to say, um, being part of the cartoon Bluey, um, the the sort of social impact that that show has had, the feedback that I have got personally and that the Ludo and Bluey team have got about particularly fathers saying that it has changed the way they parent, parents saying it has made us better parents, it has taught me how to play with my children. I've had teachers tell me that it has taught um, children with autism in their class how to play with other kids in a way they were never able to before. Um, uh, like Seriously, it's made me tear up now. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm actually part of something that's helping the world. Um, having <laughs> best feeling. <laughs> the best feeling, but... Um, having parental figures in a show that are fallible, who yeah. apologize when they make mistakes, who don't pretend that they're perfect. Um, it's just such a, like, Joe Brown, who's, like, he's, a, he's a bit of a genius. Mm. But, like, he writes pretty much every episode. He directs. He directs the animation. And it's really his, who he is as a human and the work that he has done personally I I think as a parent on himself that he can bring this like creative joy into the world that we all get to enjoy and partake in it's it feels like that it feels like somebody who has just who's been really mindful of how they have been and that journey that parents go on learning how to parent because you know it's the old absolutely there is no book on it but it's almost like bluey is providing that you know um for a whole generation it's it is so wonderful i i've i've watched many many episodes and it just it's funny and delightful and um there was one i was watching <laughs> the kids are in the bath and you and god i'm forgetting your husband's name now <laughs> uh bandit is his dog bandit. name and uh, dave mccormack is his human name okay <laughs> <laughs> bandits just read a book on on how to basically not you know, oh yes <laughs> and your kids sorry you're not to scream at your kids to get them to do stuff and he's going so um he's trying to get them out of the bus. so don't you think that um it would be a good idea for you you tell me wouldn't this be a great idea if you got out of the bus now and the kid's like no we want to play burgers <laughs> and you come in and you're like really come on I'm pulling the plug it's just it's so delightful because you're seeing this whole process that this father's going through, he's just read a, a self-help book on how to be a better father and he's trying to make it work like this. And but there's like autonomy. how much <laughs> truth is in that? Oh. We're all trying to work out how do we like not screw up our kids? How do we give them autonomy? Yeah. And, and it's obviously like through the episode, it works through what the balance is there and how much they actually are just like toddlers and don't actually have the willpower or the the fortitude at this that time to like make the right choices for themselves. Um, But what I really love about the episodes is that it manages to have these beautiful lessons in them without being in-your-face didactic. Oh, absolutely. Um, There's no preaching going on whatsoever. It's fantastic. I love it. Yeah, 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 which is really refreshing, I think. Mm. So does it go out all over the world? Forgive me for asking this. I should have found out. But does it go out all over the world in, in with, with you guys? Like is it, is it in 
Australian <laughs> in English. Yes, yes. Okay. It is, in, I think, the only um, language it's dubbed in. There's, I think there's a couple. I know it's dubbed in Mandarin. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually really want to see the, the Chinese me um, or, <laughs> or hear the Chinese me. Um, but I think most countries, I think it might be in Spanish. I'll d- don't quote me on that. Okay. Um, but mainly, yes, it's us. Like for all, all the places that Disney Plus um, feeds into, it's it's all our voices. Fantastic. Are you are you reading the characters in a studio together? Does that ha- no, no, never. No. Wow. No, we're we're by ourselves. So oh it will just be, um, which is why it's like this absolute best gig because I can record it anywhere in the world so I've done it in Florence I've done it in New York in LA a number of times Sydney Brisbane um so it's just just me in the studio and whoever's teching and then um the director will depending on where I am in the world either be in the room or um zoom in Mm -hmm. and um they'll direct from there so I I have never even met Dave in the flesh. Um, we've talked on the phone a few times and he's like, a, he's an absolute legend. He's such a lovely guy. Yeah. Um, but no, we haven't met IRL. Um, I've met a lot of the other cast, but uh, that's that's really only been at like bluey season openings yeah. type thing. That is so, so interesting. It just feels like you're all there, you know. Totally. But that's that's really testament to the writing mm. and the the vision, like the clarity of voice um, that Joe has created with these characters. Wonderful. So I was uh, I was I was asking around <laughs> friends who know you, because I interviewed a friend of yours. Kate Murphy. She was. My oh very yes. Oh, Kate's wonderful. What a lovely <laughs> human and brilliant voiceover artist and cartoon voice well, creator. She was, yeah, she moved to Sydney and she actually lives up the road from me now. So no way. So I love she says that. Hi. <laughs> hey, Kate. If you're listening, hi. And also, I heard via another friend who was a friend of Joel Pierce, who was in Love and Monsters, and. This is his quote. Um, He said, Mel is amazingly alive in her scenes. He said, everybody says that about her. He said, to ask you about the craft behind that, is there something that you were taught along the way that led you to having that quality where you're just super present and super alive in in your scenes? Firstly, Joel, what a sweetheart. We played um, opposite each other, actually, in Love and Monsters. That's yeah. the first time we worked together, and that was lovely. Um, look, I, I think, I don't know if I would assess that that way myself, because, <laughs> of course, like, you see all the things that you're not getting and all the places you aren't hitting. Like, I hate watching myself. I despise it, because all I can say, I'm like, that wasn't truthful. That didn't hit the mark. What are you doing with your face? Um <laughs> But as, as I've worked more and more, it's really about, of course, doing all your prep, being ready, and then being able to surrender and release it all and just being there with the other person or people you are doing this scene with. It's all about listening, making it about that other person and going after what you want. Mm. 
I think that's that's what being alive in a scene is. Getting what you want from the other person and being present moment to moment to moment to moment. And I think that's one of the the beautiful things about being an actor because we're constantly trying to find how to do that in life. How do I be present? Like, you know, there's so many people who are, are meditating and working out how do I be in the moment now. Um, and I think the pure um, necessities of acting really gives you you skills in how do you be in the moment, which is what we're all trying to get back to. Kids are in the moment. Kids are always in the moment. Yeah. They're not like living in a place of existential dread because they're <laughs> thinking about what's going to happen in a, you know, a week or two weeks' time or you know how much soup do they have. They're in a place where they are moment to moment experiencing, feeling things very deeply and very raw. Like you, watching kids when like, they're having an amazing time and then they fall over and they're crying yeah. and then two seconds later they're up and they're having an amazing time again. It's just like <laughs> each moment they're fully there. And so it's really about like how do, we, how do we get back to that place because I think the older you get as well, like, t- like it's terrifying, terrifying, sorry, the speed in which I feel like time is passing by. Like I know there's the... You know, when you're a kid, it feels slow and it gets really speeds up and then it slows down again. But it's it's in that speeding up period. And it's like you don't you don't want to get to the end of your life and go, did I was I there for it? Does that make sense? Was That's I not. present for my own life? <laughs> well, I think I think sometimes people try and generate that feeling by trying new things so that they can experience the, you know, something new. But I think Of course. I think on the other hand, though, if, um, if you are present, just, you know, going for a walk and you take a little bit of time to just look at that tree trunk and go, oh, my goodness, look, how did I miss the fact that that bark was so beautiful? Or Absolutely. Look up and see a bird or pay attention to the sound so that you can hear. You can actually make time slow down just by being present in, in a very simple thing like walking up the street. But... Um, I don't know. I have a I have a friend who who's actually a wonderful VO artist who you should get on this podcast at some point, Liz Buchanan. Uh-huh, and yeah. um, she and I are very similar in a way that we're talking about how <laughs> people have paid us out for like tearing up when we see a beautiful light in the sky. Or, <laughs> but there's that wonderful book. Um, uh, by Julia Bard, who's on the drum. Oh, I love that. Phosphorescence. Phosphorescence yes. Oh, my goodness. And she talks about how spending time in nature and developing a sense of awe is so important for us as humans. It makes us better people. It makes us happier people. And I really subscribe to that way of thinking. Like nature particularly brings me so much joy. There is so much beauty. Um, if we, yeah, if we're present to it. Yeah, that's where my my inner child <laughs> just comes out to play when I'm in nature. And fortunately, I, I live in a beautiful part of Sydney. and I'm Oh, wonderful. And I think I actually probably appreciate it more because I didn't live here for a long time. And then, and, and Julia Baird actually lives 
just up the road from me. She's Oh, you know, wow. So, so when she was talking about all those places where she was swimming, that's where I go swimming as well. It's just extraordinary. I uh, so And so the Australian fortunate. landscape is just so beautiful and specific. Hmm. And I've been over here, for, like I've been out of Australia for about seven months now and outside LA and Pasadena there's this gorgeous gardens called the Huntington Gardens mm-hmm. um, and they have an Australian garden area and I was walking you know there's all these like big sumptuous gardens and I go into the Australian and I'm tearing up seeing banksias and wattles because there's a smell as well there's that eucalypt that's so specific to Australia and I didn't realize just how much I missed it yeah I I used to come back here you know when I was living overseas and 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 it was almost like the air was friendly when you got off the plane because you could smell all those eucalypts Oh, I love oh, that. Oh, it's just, I don't know, there's something, something, I guess everybody feels that according to where they're from, but there is a very specific thing about, it's very grounding, that smell as well. I don't know what it is. It is, go, oh. it is. There's something beautiful and earthy. I find it so interesting how the quality of light and the sky look so different in different countries and different places. Mm. I always know it's like in Australia, it's like bright and like the air is thinner and cleaner than in LA like LA is like this bright like deep blue and the sunsets are really incredible I think it's partly because of the smog like grade eights the sunset so like they're really amazing (laughs) so like there's beauties in all different places but there is something very unique about that Australian sky and particular blue yeah, it is. And even now, right, in the, in winter where we don't we don't really have a winter in the same way. <laughs> Not quite. Well, LA, LA doesn't really either. LA doesn't either. No, no. In fact, we just had a huge storm last night. That was fantastic. I love it. Uh, LA doesn't have huge storms. Uh, Those I miss. Mm, it was it was other than the garbage being all over the road this morning. It was just, Oh no. <laughs> So tell me about the last sort of 18 months. You've just said that you were in, you've been in LA for about the last seven, but how did sort of COVID affect your filming schedule and projects that you were working on? Well, so I was, I came back to Australia in March last year. I was just going to do a press junket for Bluey, have about a month and then head back to film in LA. And uh, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So all, all the work that I had thankfully didn't get cancelled it got pushed to this year so um the I haven't actually been in LA for seven months I've been overseas for seven months so there's a a trilogy of romance books that I'm doing um and they filmed so we were in Florence Umbria Rome then we were in Atlanta then we were in Belize um, and wow. then I came back to LA. Yeah. So this and then is it, Gabriel's yeah, Inferno, this, yeah. Is... So that, that was this year. Yeah. And then I stayed in LA a bit longer than I'd planned because I did this, um, beautiful short set in the 1950s on Catalina Island and half of it was shot underwater. So it was this wonderful experience. And then I was going to head back to Australia before a project that I have in, um, Europe in a couple of months Uh less no in about one month now I'm like oh god I've got work to do but um 
they've slashed the amount of people they're letting back into the country right now. So my flights got cancelled. And then I started getting concerned that I might not be able to get back out of the country if I tried to come home. So I'm, um, yeah, I'm in LA now to, uh, yeah, be able to get to other countries. That's just the world we're in right now. I've got to say, I was you're talking about being in Belize and Florence and all over. So Gabriel's Inferno is what you were working on. Um, uh-huh. I, I was watching some interviews with you and um, Julio, who you work with. Oh, hang on, have yes. I said that right? That's right. No, Julio's right. Good, good. <laughs> It's so lovely watching you two being interviewed because he says he's just complimenting you all the time. He seems oh, he's such Italian. A lovely man. <laughs> he's very Italian. Um, no, he's uh, he's super lovely. Someone um, has just started drilling downstairs. Um, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Love that for us. That's okay. Uh, we'll see how we go. <laughs> Hello. Hello. I'm back. Um, it was literally outside my door. Ah. There was a guy uh, with a round saw sawing bits of wood. I'm on the fourth floor of this very big apartment complex. And he chose sawing. your door. <laughs> I was like, how much longer is this going? He's like, it's done. I was like, great. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> anyway, back to what we were saying. Uh, yeah. Look, he he's a uh, he's super lovely to work with. It, it could have could uh, could have gone anyway because <laughs> yeah. we didn't chemistry test. And I was like, I um, my manager sent me that he's like, she's like, this is who you'll be working with. And I was like, <laughs> he doesn't look like a real person. And I was like, he's gonna be a dickhead. And he wasn't. He's actually really smart and also a dentist and written a novel and you know. All the things. So that was lovely. That is lovely <laughs> because you guys, you carried the entire series and then yeah. I believe there's more, you're filming the next. Yeah, the next. And so it's, it's more like a mini series than yeah. films really. So, yeah, I was, what was really amazing about being in Italy during that time was there was no tourists because everything was COVID. sort of in, in lockdown and COVID. Yeah. So a lot of things went open but we still managed to get uh, like a private tour of the Vatican Museum through someone. It's moments like that. I think I've had more moments of just bursting into tears with the wonder of the world and what people can create, I think, in Italy than anywhere. It's just <laughs> the Trevi Fountain. I was there with seven other people. That was it. <gasps> no. no, usually there's yeah. hundreds, yeah. obviously, Trevi Fountain. And then yeah. I went back at 7.30 in the morning. No one. Oh. I, I, I was, a, I, where I was staying was a 10-minute walk to the Trevi Fountain and no one there. So I just sat for an hour by myself oh. with the Trevi Fountain. I'm going, this will never, ever happen again. That's never going to happen again. a once-in-a-lifetime experience for anybody. That's, I would say that's almost impossible. Even in the middle of the night, I'm sure it's impossible to be there. By absolutely, myself. absolutely. And then... There was still a number of like beautiful churches open, and but you don't have to go in anywhere with Italy. All you have to do is look up, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or look around you. And I'm like, constantly, my breath is taken. It's just everything. Like they know how to do beauty. They know how to do food. I love that even when they were like in their red zone, um, gelaterias were an essential service. Of so they were. <laughs> 
all still open. Um, yeah. Um, as Italian, and I'm half Italian, so I can say this. They are really good at love and food and joy and beauty, but organization, not a strong suit. Like there are reasons they were struggling with the pandemic. I was there on Easter and they're like shut down in Rome, supposedly. And I go out and everyone's just on the streets buying their pastries from their plate. And I'm just like, oh my God, guys, <laughs> this is a mess. Oh, so funny. Oh, I love Italy so much. Me too. I miss it. I miss Europe. And I cannot wait for the world to be vaccinated and open again. I just Absolutely. Can't wait. We're all very ready. How's everything going in Sydney at the moment? Are you guys still in lockdown? Yeah, we are. You know, it's it's apparently um, vaccination rates are going up really, really quickly. And fantastic. That's fantastic. I don't know. I mean, I'm lucky because I've, I've you know, I, I work from home a lot anyway so it's not a, a horrendous thing for me mm -hmm. personally but I just I feel just terribly sorry for people who are struggling because they absolutely they can't get to work and they're you know and the parts of Sydney are more locked down than other parts and so I heard yes yeah so we went through that at Christmas though the, the northern beaches <laughs> had a Christmas lockdown oh goodness <laughs> I think there was a yeah, there was a, a team of air stewards or, or a pilot or something that started it. And we were like, great, thanks, guys. Awesome. And, you know, Merry you're be... Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if you're going to be in lockdown, be in lockdown on the northern beaches. It's lovely. This is true. It's just, this it's, is true. There are fun. definitely worse places to be locked down. Yeah. No, it's it's uh, it's a beautiful. I'd never lived here before, you know, so I, I appreciate every single second of it. I I'm just, uh -huh. I'm like a, just like a big kid again. So, yeah. And the lovely Kate is up the road. So we go on scheduled walks every now and then. Oh, how wonderful. <laughs> Send her my love. I will. I will. University of Southern Queensland obviously produces amazing talent. And well, the course that we both did isn't there anymore. Ah. It was one of those, um, you know, with actors, you you need a lot of space and a lot of resources for a very small amount of people. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that a lot of universities go that way at some point where they're like, well, this, this course isn't, it needs to be diversified and it needs to be this and this and this. Whereas when Kate and I were there, it was a really incredibly strong course. And I was there like when I, I talked to other people who did university courses, I'm like, I was there from, Eight till six every day. I was there. I would then stay back afterwards and work on on whatever I was working on at that time. And then I would probably um, be there early. Like I was in there much longer hours than school hours. Mm. Um, but when you're doing what you love, it's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, it doesn't. It's it's not work. It's it's just it's excitement at learning new skills. Is there anything? that you can think of that, I mean, I know the course was amazing, but I know there's lots of things that you only end up learning through experience in this, in this work. But is there something that um, if you could go back to yourself when you were at university and just go, I wish I'd had just a class on this one thing? Oh, yes. We were very theatre-focused. Okay. Um, I, I would have loved some 
uh, film at all, pretty much, direction. So I got out of university and I went straight into theatre. Um, I was really fortunate the day I graduated, the next day I was doing a touring show um, that I had um, booked before I left uni. And then theatre kind of just rolled from there. I did a lot of work with the Queensland Theatre Company. Um, but when I moved, I had to start saying no to theatre so was, I was available for film because it just takes such huge chunks of time. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was searching in the dark for a long time. So, like, definitely would have wanted um, some more skills in that department. And, you know, when I started doing film, I was like, oh, my gosh, why did I spend so much time in theatre? I should have been younger doing this, blah, 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 blah. But what ended up happening is... When I, I started, the further I got in the, the film and TV world, even though there was like some real, like I said, searching in the dark and finding my feet and, you know, truth is truth in acting, but there's the difference between like you going to meet the audience or the camera coming into meeting you and all of that kind uh, of stuff. That's an but, interesting point. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. it's, um, it's, it's just a different approach. Um but then I found there's just a lot about craft and structure and understanding of the canon that kind of became like a pillar in my work, having done like so much theatre. I'd done a lot of Shakespeare and I'd played um, Eliza Doolittle and Pygmalion oh, and done some really um, great and some wonderful contemporary stuff as well. And... Rather, like for a while, doing so much theatre was a hindrance, but now further along, it's a strength yeah. in my work. And there's a, especially with like older actors um, who are really seasoned, you know, anywhere in the world, um, there's a respect if, because they know what you have to be able to do, like, you know, chart the full journey in one night, be able to like have all those lines down at a time, um, to be able to um, have the stamina of doing, you know, eight shows a week, especially if you're doing a really big theatre, not mic'd, which I did quite a bit of. Um, and for me, when I look back on it, like the actors who I love the most are ones who have been able to straddle film and theatre really brilliantly like you know people we see as like the Meryl Streep's and yeah. Dame Judi Dench's and Sir Ian McKellen's like the people we really see and um you know Philip Seymour Hoffman people we go oh they they're such incredible cinema and tv actors but they also have this skill I think there's just a, a layers layers to your abilities and, and performances so that's that's where I'd like to keep heading, being able to do both. And, um, of course, the voiceover stuff. And, of course, the voiceover stuff. So I've got so many questions for you. I want, <laughs> I want to do one of our little two in a booth, the two in a booth thing. But just one more question before we do that is um, I, I've been watching clips of you across many of the things that you've been in and you're very often playing an American and your accent is so faultless. If I didn't know that you were Australian, I would never in a million years know that. I actually had that experience on something I was working on. Um, it was a film for HBO and one of the producers, it wasn't until we were at karaoke 
after the cast party rap that he was like, what? What is that sound? I'm like, I'm not American. And he had been on set every day and he didn't know. And I'd sort of, I kind of like, I was, it was one of my first American production so I sort of just stayed in the American for a lot of it during the shooting just so it stayed comfortable I was just at that stage I don't have to do that now um but yeah um I think in terms of accents I've got a decent ear um but also just being over here a lot you just immersion is the best way 100%. 100%. Absolutely. It's it's so funny because, it, it, I mean, yeah, I was I was reading a script yesterday just to see if I could just stay in American in an American voice for this script and, and send it off as, a, as an audition. But the word that really tripped me up was saga, S-A-G-A, saga. It's that to me was like, how do I pronounce saga. that with an American accent? <laughs> now I'm thinking, how would because I? Because there's so- no R in there. So there's, it's not saga. It's, uh, I saga. Saga. I, I think it's really close to us. There's sounds okay. that we think that we uh, we overcorrect, and yeah. we love putting R's in things oh, like yeah. idea. <laughs> idea. There's no I in idea, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but apparently, the hallmark is is um, water. Is apparently supposed water. to be, yeah, one of the tells. Got it. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, look, I. I have a pretty good ear. I also work really hard on accents. And, I, and at the beginning when I started doing the American, you know, a decade or so ago, um, I had one particularly good teacher who, um, a woman named Carla Myers, who I think for a time was Kate Blanchett's on-set coach. Mm-hmm. So um, brilliant. And she was just, what she did was she was like, okay, so for – a lot of Australians, we get to a place and then it's about just usually pulling it back a touch uh-huh. and finding where it lives in your body and making sure the American sound that you have matches where your Australian voice naturally sits. Uh-huh. And of course, you know, if you know, you're playing someone who's like a valley girl and it's sitting a little bit higher and you want to use a higher register, great. Um, but my voice sits about here, so I want my American sound to sit about here so it feels like really natural and a really natural placement in my voice. Um, so uh, that was really useful. And just realizing <laughs> Americans are, in terms of mentality, really different to Australians. You can, you can have an American sound, but you need the American intent. They are just so much more direct than we are. They had a civil war. They won. Um, they got rid of the English. We have like convict ancestry for a lot of, you know, obviously yeah. not the, the First Nations, but like for a lot of our Caucasian. So there's that real back foot, laid back, non-committal uh, thing that they just don't have. They're so direct um, that like even, even their humor is very earnest, whereas yes. ours is kind of more like, banter, sarcasm, play. Um, so a lot of it is about, you know, who are these people as people and how is the dialect informed by that? Mm-hmm. Um, in, in 2019, I did a play, a Joanna Murray Smith new work um, that was her, her first and only directing as well. Um, it was a, and I played a French character. 
And a lot of getting that accent wasn't just, you know, the, the sounds, but it's also, it's so in the attitude, it's so in how you move, it's so in how the French see themselves um, that affects you vocally. I'm just nodding so much here because I, I totally understand what you're saying. It's so interesting. But the way you've summed it up with the American side of things, I hadn't actually thought of it quite that way. And that makes so much sense because, yeah, I tend, to, I tend to go towards the doing British voices for things. And that, again, is a different a different completely thing. Completely. Brits sort of celebrate, they have a, I don't know, they celebrate eccentricity and they... Um, it's it's slightly more similar to the Australian sense of humor. Yeah, think, like the, a there's a self-deprecation yeah. in in the English, yeah. and and it's all about wit. Yes, very um, much so. Yeah. And and there's a you know either the clippedness or the streetness, um, you know, depending where you are, strata, place, location. Um, but yeah, so much of a, a, a nation's history informs voca- you know where vocally you're going to not just sit sound wise but sit placement in how you place those words yeah yeah exactly right melanie isn't it so you've played robots and played a dog and you've played all sorts of you've played all the things but i don't know whether you've ever played a horse i think this might be my first horse gosh I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> so we have Jim and Bob. Um, I do this on every episode and I do a tour in the booth and basically it's an excuse to, to do a fun script and you'll see at the end of the script there's a tagline. So this is where the advertising side of this script comes in and the tagline at the end is just for you to do in your regular advertising voice over voice if you have one. Got it. <laughs> Sure, we all have one. We have one, yeah. Uh, So these these two horses, Jim and Bob, are having a chat in the barn and uh, Jim is kind of goofy and cheerful and Bob is having a really bad day. So I I don't mind playing either. Do you have a preference for who you would rather? I'm going to play Bob, I think. I'm going to be the the long-faced horse. I'm going to be... He's having a bad day. (laughs) Now, would you like to do this in any particular accent or do you want to stick to Australian? Like, it's your Um, choice. They're horses. Mm. Well, since since you – I know you're going to have a great English accent. Why don't don't we head somewhere on the aisles? All right. Let's do it. That kind of works with this script really well. All right. Great. Why the long face, Bob? That joke is where I'm thundering. Made you smile, though, didn't it? Nope. My bit was in the wrong place. So, Bob, are you going to tell me why you're so grumpy? I'd rather not, Jim. Oh, come on, Bob. You're not yourself. I can't say. It's embarrassing. More embarrassing than when I explosively broke wind for days after that little girl gave me the chocolate. Yep, well, maybe not. But I still don't want to tell you. Oh, come on, Bob. Bobby Boo. Bobby Wobby Wobby Boo Boo. Come on, tell me. You are not going to let up, are you? Nope. Oh, Lord. Okay. Yes? I'm... 
I'm... What? I think I'm allergic to grass. Yo, what? How? Every time we go into the paddock, I itch all over. I heard the human say she thinks it's grass allergy. They're going to make me... Into soap? No! Stay in the barn forever? No, they're going to make me... Not... Yes, Jim, they're going to make me wear clothes. Oh, good God, Bob. The indignity. I know. It's horrific. Still, could be worse. How could it possibly be worse? You could be allergic to me. I'm allergic to your jokes, Jim. <laughs> you love me. Does your horse have issues? Is your pony a bit peaky? Come to Pet Palace for all your pet needs. We have a full array of horse onesies, feed options and quality equestrian equipment. Perk up your pampered pets and make their playful lifestyle perfect. Come to Pet Palace. It's paradise for pets. <laughs> what is that line? Quality equestrian equipment. Sorry about that. <laughs> what a tongue twister. <laughs> Love it. So I, th I think Bob had a cold. I don't. You know when you're just like, this is this is happening. He was miserable. Oh, he was miserable. <laughs> but he it was perfect. He had an allergy. It was absolutely perfect. I actually saw a thing about a, a horse that had to be wear basically a lycra onesie from head to no. all, all and everything because it was a little grass. Oh no, <laughs> that's very funny and a little embarrassing for that horse. Exactly. I just thought, well, you poor love. How embarrassing. Oh, never mind. <laughs> oh, funny. So, oh, let me think. What do oh, I have? So many questions for you, but um, let me see. Okay, when you're voicing animated characters, is is it a very different experience to playing a character in film? And I know the answer must be yes, but I but I'd love to know what your process is when you know that it's your voice doing all the work. Yeah, well, it is my voice doing all the work, but when I'm in the booth playing Chili, and Chili is, like, my voice is probably a little more neutral than my Chili voice. I kind of lean into the Aussie a little bit more, just, like, a little bit warmer, think I have two puppies. Um, <laughs> but when I'm in there, I'm physically acting out most things. Otherwise, it's not going to sound right. Right. So if I'm like lifting things up or if I'm like throwing a ball, like I'm, I'm kind of miming and like if you recorded it, you'd be like this, this person looks like a crazy person if you were outside the booth and couldn't hear. So there, there is a lot of physicality that goes into it. Um, but I think because they can't see you, the human, and you're going to be um, in cartoon dog form, um, it does, you do have to make sure that the intention is so clear yes. vocally. And look, we're really lucky with this. It, this doesn't happen with every cartoon, but um, Bluey does the animatronics, which is like the really basic stuff. Mm -hmm. And then we record and then they do the animation to our voices. So I'm, I don't have to match anything there they're coming alive from my intentions, Got it. which is uh, really a very free way to work. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and so when you were playing Mavis, the 
the robot, that's a that's a whole different thing, I would imagine. Well, that was a really interesting situation. So I got that role from the table read. Right. Okay. So I I had been cast as a human character in that film and um you know as is the way I auditioned went to LA then got the call like two weeks later going time to come back you that's how you book a role you book a non-refundable holiday or you leave the country um and so then I came back and then the night before I flew in and then the next day was the table read and my agent called and went okay um you're reading your character, the lead char- the lead female isn't going to be there that day, so you're going to read that, and then there's a robot, and you're going to read that as well. So rather than going to sleep, because I was very jet-lagged, um, I like stayed up and prepped. And this is one of those situations where you never know what's going to happen, so always bring your best work in. So I just made some choices for the robot and at the table read, which was like being at the UN, we were all mic'd up. We had two big cameras. We had Paramount Skyping in um, on multiple computers. Um, they they really loved my read and asked whether I they whether I wanted to be the on set voice for the robot. And then um, when it got close to it coming out, the director called and said, "Well, we actually got what we need, and we love your voice, and we're going to use it for the film." Um, yeah, so that was that was not a a planned I didn't audition for it except for I guess my table read was the audition but that was a really interesting situation so it was filmed in this old motel and the person who was puppeteering Mavis and Dylan um who was acting with the robot was in were in the next room and I was in the room next to them and I had a monitor so I could see sort of out of Mavis's eyes. So I was looking at him and I had like a hold and speak kind of like, uh, like those old, um, principal in a movie where they talk through the intercom. Um, so I was, I just had a button to press and it was my line. So I was in real time interacting with Dylan, even though I wasn't, um, next to him on set. Oh, I was just goodness. watching I'm him, which is so a really cool off. experience. Yeah. yeah. I was so curious as to how that worked because you do interact so beautifully with him. And, and oh, I love that character. She's oh, so sweet. Like what a sweetheart. Yeah. Um, yeah, and was really, <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, and uh, Dan Levy, one of the producers, I think it's Dan Levy, Sean, Sean Levy. Um, I'm getting it wrong now, um, but he produced Stranger Things and yeah. he's done a lot of a lot of work. But he said that the Mavis stuff was non-negotiable, and he saw it really as kind of the heart of the film. It that was. scene where yeah. um, we really get to, you know, it, it's such a it has such a fun '90s family adventure feel. Um, but this was that really, you know, heart space connection moment so a really lovely character to play played so beautifully by you. oh thank you amazing right well i'm going to get you to do something which is a little bit like a a table read for a slightly crazy director um great some um, quick fire direction and if you look down underneath the tuna booth there's there's just one line so and great you would have, i see it you would have come across this in advertising where 
um, you can do a massive script like, well, not massive, but, you know, like a 30-second commercial. Or you can do one line and it will take you all day because you'll have the clients and oh, yes. directors and everyone going, no, just a little bit more yellow on that one. Yeah. And then they'll listen to them back and they're like, oh, that one. And you're like, that was my first take. Of course. Okay. So I'm going <laughs> to take you through this process. Let's do it. All right. It's just a meaningless line, really. You'll see it there. And so I'd like to start off with uh, just how you would normally read it. Thanks, Aroma Sense. I really needed that. Can we have just slightly less, less emotion in that? Thanks, Aroma Sense. I really needed that. Can we have it faster but make it sound a little bit slower? Thanks, Aroma Sense. I really needed that. Like a whisper. Thanks, Aroma Sense. I really needed that. Like a teacher? Thanks, Aroma Sense. I really needed that. Now, super hard sell. Thanks, Aroma Sense. I really needed that. <laughs> uh, like a hypnotherapist. Thanks, Aroma Sense. I really needed that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Okay, now, like a mushroom, only a little bit cheerier. Thanks, Aroma Sense. I really needed that. Awesome. Like a Sergeant Major. Thanks, Aroma Sense. I really needed that. Sir. Maximum charm. Thanks, Aroma Sense. I really needed that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like an American child. Thanks, Aroma Sense. I really needed that. Oh, my goodness. That was brilliant. Okay, now, uh, more like your first read. Thanks, Aroma Sense. I really needed that. You have booked the job, Melanie. Zanetti. Yes! It's yours. <laughs> <laughs> what fun. Isn't that a fun thing to do? I love that. Oh, my goodness. So, tell me what's coming up. I, I know you've been filming the next is it a series for Gabriel's Inferno yeah yeah Yeah. so I've done that and what's next I actually don't know if I can talk about what's Uh, next um but I'm okay filming it overseas okay all right in Europe this time is that right Mm -hmm. correct yeah excited for you that'll be so much oh thanks so have you done much work in Europe before I mean other than the um no not a lot It's really just been, yeah, little tiny bits. No. Okay. (laughs) I'd love to work there more if if the universe is listening. (laughs) Look, from your lips to God's ears, I'm sure it'll just, it'll happen. Yes. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm coming to the ridiculous part of this interview. (laughs) It's the nonsense poetry jam. Every episode I write a nonsense poem. And the rules with nonsense poetry is that it just absolutely cannot make sense at all. I love that. So, and it's amazing what just comes out of your subconscious when you have that as a, as a thing. But I would like you to read this, like if you, uh, you know, like um, old school, you're out in a poetry club where people. Oh yeah, I got you. And they're doing. I got you. That is very meaningful to them. Yes. You know what Got I mean? it. That's what I mm-hmm. want. Yeah, that would be great. Let's do it. Okay. All right. Human. So printer of joy dimple of peppermint spam. Locus. 
Necessities waver, brew, go moth. Coincidence? Lamington. Of cardinal? Attached, nor pinky, motivated garment, leaf, unresponsive, yo, flame, weed is purring, comma? Watering is zinc. Intoxicated through haunch, quite drew, I bungalow, etymology, this petal of beefsteaks? Ween charm. Canoe. Beautiful. <laughs> I totally get you, Mel. I get it. You feel me? I feel you. <laughs> that was brilliant. Tell me about your poetry writing now that you've heard mine. Um, I love yours. Honestly, it's it's just something I sort of have done quietly by myself over the years. And and in the last, I think last year was the first time I was like, ah. Oh, I'm going to do something that feels stupid and vulnerable and I might just put one online. <laughs> and um, and then I've just done it a few times. I really enjoy it. I think I just really like words. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've Great. always enjoyed poetry. I love beautifully written plays. I, you know, words are brilliant. They are. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so have you ever written any scripts or any stories or anything like that as, as well as poetry? Look, or? I have. I, I wrote for a company um, that toured a show. I wrote for a couple of years, um, Shake and Stir Theatre Company. Uh-huh. And I, um, I've written bits and pieces, nothing that I've, I've taken anywhere yet. I am you know, we're our own worst critics, but it's one of those things that I'm like, okay, when there is, when there is a little bit more space, that's something that's um, on the top of the list to pursue a little bit more diligently. Yeah. Well, for sure. You, you're not somebody who's shy of, who shies away from learning the craft or doing, putting the hours in. Well, no. And, and it's always that feeling when someone's like, maybe you should do this or do you want this opportunity? And as soon as I feel terror, like abject terror, I'm like, oh, gosh, now I have to do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fantastic attitude. Goodness, really. And it's not because I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. No, I am dragging myself, kicking and screaming because that is where the growth happens. That is where, like, the progress in your work happens. That's where the magic happens. So I'm not going to pretend that it's something that is easy for me. No. I've just learnt that wonderful things come when I put myself out creatively in ways that feel feels scary out of my comfort zone. Uh, that is awesome. I mean, that is, that right there is such a nugget for anybody who is looking at coming into this world or anything else really if it terrifies you try it <laughs> yeah and and be willing to be sucky at something new yeah i find that so difficult i just like i want to stay in the places where i'm like well i feel comfortable and i'm kind of good at this so i'm just going to sit here um so much progress can be made if you're willing to be bad at something, because we have this disparity between um, our taste 
as people. We can have great taste. We know what's good. And then we have our ability. And it's how do we bridge the space between our ability and our taste that is so excruciating, but it's the only way. I love that analogy. It is so true. I mean, I just think of, of um, learning to paint and what you what you want to be is a Dutch master. Exactly. <laughs> what you need to do to get there is learn from somebody and then just do the hours and the hours and it make is. the mess. And it it is. Yes, make the mess. Yeah. Um, and and. You know, you go and the patches of like frustration of like, I just feel like I am plodding and it is not getting anywhere. But like that's that's where the movement's actually happening. And all those micro little, you know, plodding to the to think that it's just these like leaps and bounds is very funny and not true. <laughs> well, it's like it's like the idea of wanting to, wanting to be famous, but it's like what for what you know? Like, <laughs> who would want to be famous? Like, I just be, I know. oh my goodness, I see. I just don't know why you would ever want to be like I'm sure there's lots of reason people want, would want to be but I see people who are like for example A-listers in Hollywood mm. and there are so many people's livelihoods based on your success oh. the level of exposure that you are having to mitigate the difference between you the person and you the product being blurred there is so much work that is outside the acting work when yeah. you're operating at that level. And yes, there's there's wonderful gains and, and beautiful things that come from that. But also, like, I don't actually think most people would want to be there if they actually knew. Like, even, even in our job, I've had people go, oh, I'd love to do what you do. And I'm like, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. You don't actually know what this is. You you do not un understand the level of constant rejection that you have to be fine with and resilient to. You don't know, you know, how the inconsistencies and the, everything and the level of unpaid work that we oh do yes. in auditions, yeah. <laughs> in prepping, in learning, like, if you, I'm like, this is like the parts of this, like this is the, the sh shit sandwich that I am 100% willing to eat because I want to be creative and this brings me so much joy. If you're in it because you want to be famous and you want like that tip of the iceberg stuff, mm -hmm. it's not going to be worth it. It's just, it's just not. And it's also, it's also virtually impossible to get there without doing absolutely tons of work. Absolutely. I mean, the amount <laughs> that goes into getting to, to where you're at, to where anyone's, you know, to anyone who actually manages to make a living, any kind of living from this work, uh -huh. it's been years of training. It's been uh -huh. finding the right teachers, the right coaches. And the amount of time people who, like, have a breakthrough moment and everyone's like, they're an overnight success. <laughs> and then you see they're, like, 20 years of, like, work and plugging away <laughs> beforehand yeah. but then you do get to do this this beautiful job and it's why people people who have you know supposedly kind of like hit the hit the jackpot and, and they've become hugely successful or famous or whatever they don't want to 
want to stop there and just live on a yacht somewhere. They want to keep working. Exactly. The whole reason you do this as a job is because it is in you to be a creator. It's, it's in you to, to want to experience this world and be characters and learn. And- Absolutely. And there is a level of life giving for yourself, for other people. Like no one, if they're a, a truly creative soul, wants to sit and stagnate. No. No, not at all. So one last piece of advice that you can think of. I think we've covered so much. Thank you. This is like a masterclass. So thank you, Mel. Um, but is there anything that you would say to somebody who who maybe was, was like you, was like, I love acting, but I'm not sure it's for me. I don't know. Can I, can I be brave enough to, to try? This is what I think. I think if you can be truly happy doing something else, you should go do that. But if you won't, you must do it. Mm. I also would say that often success comes with preparation, meeting opportunity. Do the work, do the prep, be ready. That is so, that's so, so true. That's so true. There is nothing worse than actually going into something feeling underprepared and oh i i oh, oh my god isn't it the worst and sometimes there just isn't time exactly. sometimes there's just no way to be more prepared yeah. than you are yeah. but that feeling is just it's like yeah it's not being grounded also i know when i'm working on something i know i've hit a point when i start to to really see what i don't know then i know i'm in the ballpark of starting to have done enough work for the thing if that makes sense like you have yeah. to do a certain amount of work until you realize oh my god there's so much more and there's so many other <laughs> options and there's it's when you get it's when i get to that place that i'm like okay i'm starting to get into a place where i'm doing the work yeah. it's but it's also that like you know the dunning kruger effect that you don't know what you don't know yeah and so people, uh, there was that you know, experiment that people who had, you know, not studied for a test thought that they knew way more than people who had studied. They were like, oh, gosh, I don't think I did very well because, because they have such a bigger understanding of how much more knowledge is out there. Yeah. yeah uh, so, yeah, do the work at least to the point where you're like, oh, my gosh, there's so much more out there. That's so true. I love that. That is a brilliant, a brilliant place to, to finish. I think today because you've given me so much of your time. I don't know whether you, you did you bring a piece that you were you're happy to read or um, I from um, what you had written in your email. You were like you you have written poetry, and I thought I've got a really short little one here. Okay. That um, I wrote at the start. Uh, yeah, earlier in the year it was about Easter, and I was in Rome, and. I wasn't vaccinated yet, and so I was very conscious of washing my hands um, crazily. And I had this moment where I looked up in the mirror, and I could see my hands, and they didn't look like mine. And um, I wrote this poem about it. It's also just about missing people during a pandemic. So, Washing my hands with the new vigor and caution, suddenly they looked like my sister's articulate, delicate, and my heart sank in the way things heavy with love sink, an earring of Venetian glass straight down the plug hole. 
pale brown, prettier than mine, peeling a mandarin or clementine, citrus rind separated from flesh and seeds spat out. She is always good at dissecting. My hands in the sink of a heart wet pink, 20 full seconds washed clean and heavy. Wow. That is beautiful. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. What was the heavy, like, only that line in the... Oh, um, and my heart sank in the way things heavy with love sink. Oh, (laughs) just that. Thank you. Any that is amazing. Just, <laughs> Thank you. God, I was welling up. Stop. <laughs> oh, it's been such a joy to talk to you. I likewise. Thank you enough. It's just been just so insightful. I wanted to mention also that you wrote an article or an essay for Backstage, which I'll put a link for it actually in the in the show notes. But it is such a brilliant insight into what it is to be an actor and and the the good and the bad and the, everything else that you need to do so it's a, it's a lovely it's a lovely summary and it's so beautifully written mel you thank wow. you <laughs> yeah so um i will do that and um and other than that people can find you on instagram and anywhere else uh, just um, all over the screens it's, in the world basically and the screens, and the screens. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i'm trying to um to limit my social media um, I just trying to stop spending so much time in front of a screen. I think it's particularly uh, in the last, gosh, couple of years with pandemic world and everything. Yeah, just realizing we're all pretty addicted, and mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how much of my time am I uh, letting leak out of me into this de- device, and what's what's useful and what's not? So I'm just. On a journey of assessing that. Oh, I think you're not the only one. I think everybody's been feeling that. It's really, it's so tempting just to sit there and scroll through things and just fill your mind with stuff. And also realise, like I'm realising for me that it's it's also um, an anxiety response. It's a way to uh-huh. um, to sort of quell anxiety by, by muting it, by scrolling and just becoming, because when I, I started to like wean myself off a little bit, I was like, oh, that was the thing that was like deadening my anxiety, probably not in a healthy way, but that's what I was using it for. You know, and let's face it, we're all much more anxious. Um, maybe not more anxious, but I'm more anxious. Um, and so just going, what are, what are more useful tools that I can be using other than um, a little screen that's attached to me all the time? Yeah, and, and just full of other people's opinions and stuff that just yeah is, yeah yeah sometimes it's great sometimes it's really not great so absolutely yeah. double-edged sword that one Ugh. well i wish you well with everything and thanks again just for being so insightful and giving us all a masterclass. mel zanetti <laughs> we love you thank you very much <laughs> thank you so much kathy it's been a joy all right bye for now Bye. Thank you for listening to Voice Over Voices and apologies for the slightly dodgy sound this week. We did what we could to fix it. Scripts and concept by Kathy Ogden, music produced by Grant Windsor and written by Jeff Franzel and Kathy Ogden. If you want to get in touch, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Voice Over Voices Podcast. If you like the podcast, please rate, review and subscribe so more people can find us. Be kind. Thank you.